The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are for informational purposes only and solely those of the podcast participants, contributors, and guests, and do not constitute an endorsement by or necessarily represent the views of the Hartford or its affiliates. You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by the Hartford. Gene, we never talk about our favorite books anymore or what we're watching or movies we've seen. Oh, I mean, boy, I'd love to share. So can I can I share with you a great well, show that I just finished watching? We're going to we're going to save it to the end of the episode. Oh, because okay. people don't like to hear. Some people like to hear about it, but yeah, others are wanna, like, fair enough. you know what? You're going to talk to me today about what small businesses are the most profitable. I'm starting up a small business or I just started a small business. Just tell me which businesses are most profitable. They don't want to hear about our banter, about what we're reading and what we're watching. Meanwhile, you're bantering right now. Here you are. You're just droning on and on. People want to get to the meat of the issue here. (laughs) But I just want to let the people that do like us and want to hear about what we're doing right now. I've got a great show on Netflix to recommend, so stay tuned at the very end. You will not regret it. And I have a good one, too. So after the word of brilliance, stay with us. Our topic today is, as you may have guessed, what small businesses are the most profitable right now? And we'll be back with that list after we hear from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by The Hartford. When the unexpected strikes, The Hartford strikes back for over 1 million small business customers with property, liability, and workers' compensation insurance. Check out The Hartford Small Business Insurance at thehartford.com. So, Gene, I'm going to run through these, these industries And what I want to talk about is commonalities between them or how hard it is to start a business like this. Sure. Because some of them, there's a barrier to entry. Number one, accounting. Yeah. First of all, I think we're going to find some of the businesses here because I took a sneak peek at this list um, involve this thing called skills or education or education. Okay. So maybe we'll get back to that or maybe we'll talk about that now, but accounting um, is considered to be a a very, you know, a a profitable business to run. Right. And here's the reason why it's a profitable business to run because I'm an accountant. Typical accountants charge. Nerd. Yeah. Well, okay. (laughs) But typical accountants charge, you know, a hundred bucks to $400 an hour, depending on the work that they're doing, whether it's tax returns or advice or whatever. And you've got no out-of-pocket costs. I mean, you can have an office or you don't have to have an office. You can just work from home if you want to. When you think about a billable week, if you're an accountant and you can find 40 hours a week billable, even $100 an hour, that's $4,000 a week. or That's like 50 grand a year is what you're making with basically no out of pocket, no materials cost, no. Well, your just, computer. Just, well, I mean, that's nominal stuff. Yeah, that's also very nominal. I mean, there's, there's, and there's no, um, th- that's just you doing the work, by the way. You can yeah. easily make a living 50 grand a year. Uh, that's at a hundred bucks an hour when really most accountants are charging twice that. So really you could be making 80 to a hundred thousand dollars an hour. If you could be 40 hours chargeable a week for 50 weeks a year. That's like a pretty profitable business. Yes, but what if you think about the education that you need to do that? Well, now, your son yeah. is an accountant. How much he did is. you spend on his exactly college education? Right. Exactly right. First of all, too much. I We spent yeah. three times the amount of money that we needed to spend because here's the thing. To become a CPA in most states requires you to get 120 hours of accounting credits okay. that you need to have. So you need to go to school and some even acquire even more. Okay, Those accounting credits can be from like a community college. 
or they can be from like a local college. They don't have to be from any and he went expensive. To Pitt, right? He went to Pitt, which is a state college. But so it's that's still pretty expensive. It was about twenty five grand a year to go to yeah. Pitt. You know, so okay, that's so that's one thing. But he could have we could have gotten it and go into a school even cheaper than that, and he could have uh, gone to community college for half that amount yeah. of time for even cheaper. But then he would have gotten the credits he needed, and then he could sit for the CPA exam. And once you once you pass the CPA exam, you've got a license to practice in your state. You now have those skills, and then you you can earn a really good living. And there will never be a shortage of accountants in this world unless governments decide to stop taxing their people, which clearly it's is never going happen. to happen. So it's a really consistent, good business to go into. That's why people now a lot of people don't because it's boring, and you have to have a certain personality. You have to be sort of detailed. There's a lot of you can imagine what the downsides yeah. are, but it's a pro now I know when when they say this is why. Um, this is considered to be one of the more profitable businesses. That's why it's it's you and your brain. So yes, you do have to be detail oriented, and you have to be good at math, or at least proficient in math. Yeah, and by the way, you don't have to be that great at math. Believe it or not, it's a lot of adding and subtracting. You know what I know? And there are I, calculators. That I do go that. see my accountant, and I'll ask him questions, and he's just got his ten key. Yep, yeah, yeah, he's just time. calculating. Always. And you I really wonder have to be that. if if he's not able to do it in his head, or if he just loves his ten key. I think he loves his ten. Yeah, key. I'm thinking it's the other thing around. He's probably not <laughs> able to do it in his head. I went to accounting. I took accounting in college. I met a lot of, you know. The, these guys are not going to be rocket scientists, but they're smart enough to be accountants. Yeah. And, you know, so that's people in the accounting profession is going to yell at me. But, but you need so you need to be detail oriented. Yeah. But you also have to be good with people because you're dealing with clients. Not necessarily. Yeah. I know a lot of client, you know, accounts aren't that are very good accounts. They're just not necessarily that great with people. Would you rather have a, a, your accountant be not good with you socially, but saving you money on your taxes and really be excellent at what he does or would you like a, a the accountant the other way around he's like hey let's go for beers i love you and meanwhile he's like doesn't know what he's doing when it comes time for your tax return what would you prefer <laughs> i think you know yes but okay so the next episode i'm going to tease this are these are businesses for lazy people to start <laughs> it's um businesses you can start at home when you and you don't need any skills so the barrier hosting of entry a podcast is much yes exactly <laughs> the barrier of entry is much much lower right but for these businesses like to be an accountant, let's say you're not a CPA, but you're like, oh, accounting is one of the most profitable small businesses to start. Right. Maybe I just hire a bunch of accountants to work for me. Is that plausible? I mean, sure. Of course it is. I mean, you know, the, the smart, when I gave you the scenario of a person being 40 hours chargeable a week yeah. uh, at 100 or 200 bucks an hour, that's a decent living that you can make, but you certainly ain't getting rich. You yeah. know, you're earning a decent living. You want to make money, you become a business person. The way you become a business person is you hire other accountants to work so for you. So how come you don't hire a bunch of CPAs to do? We don't do, we're not in the accounting business. We, we're in the technology management business. So we really focus on more yeah, like I'm, the applications. I'm just, you know, forget about the Marx group and... Do it separately on the side. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a good question, but it, it's like any other business. Every business, you get out of it what you put into it. Yeah. So like I'm automatically just going to hire 10 CPAs and like, boom, I have a business. Going. You got to market that business. I got to get clients they have to be served there has to be organization and structure yeah. and you know all that and that takes that's a full-time job to manage that stuff okay so accounting is the most profitable small business but there is a barrier to entry you actually have to be a cpa yeah you have to be a cpa by the way you can you can just be a regular accountant really it's just, yeah the cpa certification besides it bolsters your credibility by a thousand percent um you can't sign off on uh, like financial statements, unless you're a CPA. Okay. But you can prepare somebody else's tax return if you're not a CPA. But, you know, if you're going to hire an accountant and one's a CPA and one's not, you're generally going to lean towards the CPA. CPA. Yeah. Okay. Number two, business number two, most profitable small business. 
real estate, aka landlord. So not a real estate agent, but someone that owns property, property right. and is renting it out. That's got a pretty high barrier to entry. It does. You have to have money. You need to have money. So, I mean, you know, it's funny. We've done that as well. Like we, we've, over the years, my wife and I have purchased some small properties that we rent out um, in Philadelphia. And once you're able to scrape up the money to do it, um, that's like a super easy and profitable business to do because then it's a matter of just charging rents and, you know, collecting them. Yeah, um, but if someone calls your tenant and they're like, oh, the toilet's clogged again, then it becomes, the person who's yeah, going over it there? depends. Having said that, though, these are the kinds of things that when we're talking about profitable businesses, you can do yourself. Yeah. Like the barrier at entry there is very low. Like once yeah. you bought the property to learn how to, you know, be a handyman or whatever is, you know, it's a skill like anything else. And there are different levels of expertise there, but it's a Home Depot type of thing. And you can service your apartment. Plus, if you buy property that's in pretty good shape, yeah. you know, like we buy, we have a few condos in Philly. So there's like zero work that needs to be done on them. Yeah. Um, then from a profit standpoint, it's a matter of, you know, you're just subject to that market value of rents in your area. So that's something that's out of your control. Have you ever had to lower rents? No, we've never had to do that yet, but we're prepared to, if that, you know, if that is the case. Yeah, because you know? you're not relying on that income. Right. But you're depending on the market and what the rents are. And, um, but you, you have a mortgage if you finance it, but if you have, like you said earlier, if you've got the cash, you have to finance it. Yeah. Then it's really just you. You are literally collecting a check. Now, the only other thing you have to worry about is that if, uh, what if somebody doesn't pay, you know, a tenant doesn't pay? Well, Honestly, that's really few and far between. I mean, the, the, the fact is in this world is that 99% of the people out there, they do pay their bills yeah. and they are real honest people and they are when it's, you know, okay, there is the 1% that you might stumble on that gives you a problem and then that, that's a potential headache. But that shouldn't happen too often. Finding new tenants is a cost. Because yeah. when you lose one, then you got to advertise for another and then spend and some time, time getting you have in to interview Correct. people and... Correct. And then it might involve a cost because you have a new tenant, so you have to put in new rugs or have the place painted again. Um, but over the long term, operationally, it's profitable. Okay. Number three, legal services. Same thing as accounting. It's the so, same, same concept. Again, you're going to need to spend a lot of money on education. You do more than accounting in this case, because there you got to go undergrad and then you got to go to law school. Yep. And then once you go to law school, you then got to sit for the bar exam. And law so, school is really super expensive. expensive. Um, but again, once you've got all of that behind you, then like an accountant, you can open up your own practice and you charge by the hour and you can do it yourself. Um, you don't necessarily have to hire other people or uh, there's no materials. There's no inventory. There's no machinery. There's no equipment. There doesn't even have to be any rent if you want to do it from your home. So I have a very good friend who's a labor attorney and uh, just, you know, the background is he went to Duke Law, you know, and then he worked for like 10 years at a big I law firm. Duke. Well, listen, so, you know, Duke is with their basketball team. I mean, you can't I argue that them. they're one of the, okay, whatever. It's a very good school. It's very <laughs> I'm beautiful. I'm a UConn fan. Okay? okay. You're a UConn. Anyway, let's get back on topic here. So my friend Claude, he's the attorney. <laughs> he's a labor attorney. He works out of his home. He's got a, he's got, he built a little office for himself over his garage and he's got like, I don't know, like 10 clients and he represents the bad guys. He represents corporations um, when they fight employees so he or has former no soul, employees. Basically. He has no soul, okay. uh, but a funny guy. And he, um, um, but his business is highly profitable because there's, there's no overhead and no direct costs. Okay. Number four is something called, and by the way, this is based on a SageWorks. SageWorks is an excellent firm that provides data 
to both small and large companies. So we got this from a list from SageWorks put together from their and, database. And we'll link to this um, in the show notes. So this is something called management of companies and enterprises. And the explanation is this industry consists of small privately owned offices of bank holding companies, and they help out other businesses in influencing management decisions and organizational strategies what does that mean? I'm not James? really sure. I'm not really sure. Are My they business consultants? Yeah, I think what they're talking about is we're consultants and investors and people that buy in like private equity companies that okay. buy into other companies and take over ownership or part ownership of it. And then they charge a management fee. Okay. Um, and a lot of companies, there are a lot of companies out there that do that. There is a company in Philadelphia, one of my clients actually, that is they are a private equity firm and they go into middle market, boring manufacturers and they buy them out or they buy uh, you know, a majority ownership in them. Um, and then they charge a management fee back to okay. that company um, in turn for their management services. That's a racket. Well, I mean, yeah, but they, <laughs> they do own the company, so they're not going to charge a management fee that's going to put them out of business. Yeah. Um, but, you know, their management fee is structured in some way that, okay, yeah, it's a bit of a racket, but you know, it's still, it's a very profitable type of enterprise, obviously. Okay. Number five, construction. That interests me um, and, and caught my eyes for being like most profitable or one of the most profitable types of businesses. And I think- but there's a ton of cost. There, there is a lot of cost because there's material costs. I think, you know, what we're talking about in construction is if, if you're small time, you know, I mean, if you're, if you're a drywall guy, or if you're, you know, a contractor, um, if you are somebody that's like a carpenter and you've got your own carpentry business or drywall business, that's not that different than your accountant business or your legal business. Yeah. I mean, it's just you. So you're charging time and materials for the work that you're doing. And if you price yourself correctly, um, listen, housing prices now are jumping around the country. There's a shortage of housing. Um, the construction industry is trying to catch up. It's been very good to be in the construction industry and they're well, willing to pay top dollar to, you know, independent construction companies, drywall people, carpenters, plumbers, electricians, those kind of guys. And they're charging an hourly rate. And, you know, if you can get the rate, then it's profitable. Okay. But what happens if we go into a recession in 2019? Then, then, that then it's not profitable. Of, That's right. Uh, well, that gets back to, and we've had conversations before about managing cash, but my smartest clients who are in the construction business are the ones that scoop up the money when things are good and stick it away because they know, particularly in that industry, it is very, very much fluctuates with the economy. Okay. Number six is dentists. Interesting one about that as well. Dentists are lucky in the sense that when I say lucky, I've never met a happy dentist, right? Whenever I talk to dentists, they always are grumbling. And I guess I would be grumbling too, if I were to be looking at people's mouths. Oh, that is a job I could never imagine having, but okay, that's fine. You know, it's a profitable business and it's never going away. Because My dentist loves me. Does, is your dentist happy? See, that's you know exactly what I don't really see the dentist that much. I just see the hygienist, but uh, since I have perfect teeth, uh, they're my, like, oh, your teeth are My great. teeth have paid for my dentist. Three kids, <laughs> college education. Um, when you are a dentist, though, um, you know, particularly, it's amazing to me because this is an industry that really essentially didn't exist, you know, 150 years ago, unless you just had to have a, you know, a tooth pulled. But now you got teeth whitening. And they tied and a rope the, around it yeah. and the other a horse. They, 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 and like, they put a bunch of leeches on your body <laughs> and then they pulled your teeth and that was supposed to be uh, to fix all of your woes. But nowadays, you know, obviously there was a lot of value added services that you provide as a dentist. I mean, teeth whitening is huge, high margins. Yeah. Uh, things when you put in, you know, posts into your mouth because you have to pull teeth and veneers, the, you know, veneers um, cosmetic surgery as well. It gets done, uh, you know, gum surgery and services that are done. 
They're just, there they're are a lot of value added stuff that you can do. And people, listen, when I get my teeth cleaned, which I do, I do four times a year ago. Do you really go that yeah. much? Okay. So I go four times a year. Every time it's, it's like 200 bucks each time I go or something like that. I mean, it's, it ain't cheap. It ain't yeah. cheap. Um, but dentists can get that because there is a value for yeah. doing that. So that's why they're profitable. Number seven, real estate agents. Now this is a business I cannot believe it's in even the top 20 because I feel like it's so dependent on the economy. It is. So, um, you know, maybe this isn't, you know, the same thing when we're in a recession, but for the most part, the real estate markets are, are active enough that they, you can make a business being a real estate agent. Also, and by the way, do we mean somebody renting our property or somebody selling, like getting commissions on, how do we describe a real estate agent? Um, the agent is the person getting a commission from selling okay, so residential it's a residential or commercial real estate. The thing is, you always hear about like, people are like, oh, I guess I'll just become a real estate agent. Now, I know there's a lot of real estate agents who were really good and it was their calling, but the market is just so flooded with people that yeah, are like, that I doesn't, don't know what else I'm going to do. I'm you're right go. about that. And by the way, a lot of people go into the business because the, the barriers to entry are pretty low. Yeah. Um, well, I forget what the exam is. Yeah, don't you have to take an exam to be a real estate agent? Yeah, you do. And, but like my real estate agent, I'll ask her a simple question and she'll ask me 10 questions back. And I'm like, she is a real okay. professional. Well, like, the cream rises to the top. So yeah. whenever you hear people saying, oh, I'm going to get in and sell real estate, that's like in any business. I mean, if you're really good at what you can, at what you do, yeah. you can make money at it. And being a real estate agent, let's face it, you know, your biggest cost, I believe, is you've got you've got marketing costs yeah. because you've got to be out there and you get referrals, but you also have and to be travel. out there. You're, I mean, you're call, always in your car. You're always running around. So you've got those out of pockets. And I also think, you know, good real estate agents have a, a bit of an administrative team behind them yeah. as well to handle the paperwork and all of that. So those are all costs. But again, they're they're relatively lower costs. Yeah. So that's why I can understand why that business would be profitable. Okay. Number eight is something I was really surprised by. Mineral mining and quarry. Yeah. Now that is, you know, that's a commodities business. Um, it is a, a very capital intensive business. I'm sure it's a very high, um, high barrier to entry. And so, you know, you don't just wake up one morning and saying, you know what? I'm going to be a mineral mining and quarrier. That's what I'm going to, you know, that's. Yeah, that's something someone in your family yes, is already in that business. Clearly a family business. They have, they have, you know, licenses and permits and rights to do whatever mining. They've got the equipment that probably granddad bought back in the 1940s yep. and they're still just working. And, and you're just, you're pulling stuff out of the ground and selling it. And depending on what the price is of the, you know, the minerals that you have, um, you're, you're able to have really good margins. So I would recommend going into that business as a startup, but I can understand why if you're an established business in that area, you can, you can make some money. Okay. Number nine, warehousing and storage. Now I know storage, personal storage uni units is booming. It is. Just yesterday, um, I was in um, West Palm in Florida oh, and I was speaking just there too. Okay. So beautiful there. And yeah. we were speaking to the national portable storage um, association. Okay. And these are all companies that make and sell portable storage units. And it, there were 650 people at this conference that I spoke to that were like, this is what they do. They, you know, yeah. and these are like, you can imagine these are the modular storage units. And yep. like, so when you go to the, the storage place in U-Haul, they're all made up of modular storage units. You know, yeah. when you go to construction sites, if there's something going on, they have like units that people not only store, but they work out of as well. Yeah. You know, when you're moving house, you get like the temporary pods that you put store, you know, it's a huge it's a huge business. So you can buy or rent those things. But generally what these people do is they, they buy these storage units 
and then they they turn around and rent them out to construction sites and hmm. to companies that are in that business. And that once they the rents last forever, you know, and these storage things are all they're built to withstand hurricanes. So it's just an ongoing just collecting the checks for the for the huh. stuff that's out there. So it's a very that business itself is very is very profitable. If you're warehousing and you've got space and your cost of ownership is low, whatever the current rents are in the area, it's a very yeah. profitable business to be in. Okay, finally, this is the last one on our list. Death care services. Now, you talked about this recently, that this is a growing industry for women. It is. It is. There are many funeral homes, a lot of women getting into the funeral business because it's a um, a business that takes nurturing and care and um, and something that's just, you know, many females are much better at that than guys. And so um, we're seeing them get into the business. I spoke, um, this was last December at the National Funeral Directors Conference in Boston, and there, there were God knows how many thousand funeral directors um, from funeral homes around the country. And um, these guys are, they're, they're doing pretty good. Mostly men? Um, it's mostly men. Yeah. And uh, it, is, it, is, it is still a male-dominated business. But again, it's a, gr- a growing percentage of females involved. Um, people, you know, grumble all the time, the cost of, you know, a funeral. Um, and they recognize that. It's just a business that people still just don't negotiate. Yeah. And the cost is what it is and the margins are what they are. There are other options, though. You don't have to use a funeral home. I know. No one in the... Here's the thing, though. When you have a loved one die, that's not when you're going to research it. You're going to be like, oh, my God, call the coroner, like call the funeral home. Right, right, right. Very interesting. But most of us don't. I mean, most of us wait until that. And you're just... What are you going to sit there and haggle with the the guys? So so because they know that, they don't advertise that, but that's why they get big margins on so can sell. you haggle with them? Yeah, sure. I mean, they're, when they sell a casket, I mean, their markup in some cases can oh, be 60 to huge. 70%. Yeah. Um, so, and that markup is all negotiable stuff. It's just, it's, yeah, you know. Yeah, but what can you negotiate with? You can't be like, you know what? I'm going to bring so many people into your funeral. <laughs> like, it depends on what the market is. It depends really on how many people. Leverage. Well, it depends on how many people died that week. It depends on how business is going. It depends on what the person's competition is. I mean, your leverage is saying like, you know what? You're too expensive. I'm going to go to this funeral home down okay. the street. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah, yeah. And if there that's are the a case, lot of them. there yeah. are a lot. We'll do another episode on this called Elizabeth and Jean Talk About Death or something. <laughs> So we'll be right back with Gene's Word of Brilliance, and he's going to give us his Netflix recommendation. Mm, a couple of good ones, too. Did you know that it takes 26 minutes to recover from a minor distraction? If you're looking to become an even more productive business owner, Small Biz Ahead has you covered. Our new ebook, 21 Days to Be a More Productive Small Business Owner, will help you set a course to supercharge your workdays and maximize your hours. You'll learn how to find the most productive time of day for certain tasks, which parts of your life you can automate, when to hire a virtual assistant, how to batch work to increase productivity, and more. Head over to smallbizahead.com and click the link in the show notes to download your free copy today. Okay, we're back with Gene's word of brilliance. Gene? Airfares. I know this is your favorite topic. I talk about... Yes, I travel a lot. So I recently about wrote about this for uh, Small Biz Ahead about airfares and how to save on your airfare. And there was a um, a, a service uh, survey that just came out uh, recently from CheapAir.com. Elizabeth, they viewed. 917 million transactions on their site with the objective of coming out. When is the best time to buy a plane ticket? 
and you're a business owner, so you travel yourself, your employees travel, you're looking for all of that. So let me uh, let me share with you just a few tips about okay. airfares, okay? So first of all, let me just say to you, the there is a magic number for airfares, okay? 70 days in advance of your flight is the best time to okay. buy your ticket. So that's a little bit more than we'll two put months. We'll this in the show notes, everyone. Yeah, 70 days. However, it does depend on the season, so depending on when you want to try travel, uh, it's 90 days if you want to travel in the spring, for example. During the summer, it's 47 days. Okay. Let's make sure that this is up on the site. But the average rule of thumb is 70 days, okay? okay? Booking early does nothing. In fact, if you book six more than six months in advance of a flight, you're going to pay a lot more for really? your ticket huh. than if you booked a little bit further in. Um, the only advantage to booking early is um, you get better seats. Yeah. So to some people, that's that's kind of important. Waiting until the last minute is a no-no. A lot of people think like, oh, prices are going to come down. They're going to whatever. On average, you could be paying up to $200 more for your ticket really? if you wait to just a few days before buying your ticket. Don't The, the whole theory of buying, um, you know, waiting until the last minute is a, uh, is a theory that just doesn't work. Okay. And finally... People talk about when is the best day to buy a ticket. There is no best day to buy a ticket. There was this thing, you know, this myth saying, well, if you buy a ticket on Tuesdays at yeah, 11 o'clock yeah, at yeah. night, there's a, there is no, the, the differences between day to day is really de minimis. However, there is a best day to travel. If you buy a ticket to travel on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday, you will get a much better fare than if you want to travel any other day huh, of the week. So Tuesdays and Wednesdays are the best days to nice. actually travel. This is, great. For tickets. this is actually a useful good word and of useful tips. You can read all about it on Small Biz Ed. Not that the other ones were not. Of course not. Yeah, but oh, these actually your, make sense to you. What was your Netflix uh, recommendation? Okay, actually, I have two. Okay, right. Okay. Number one, Babylon Berlin. Okay. Fantastic, fantastic show. Takes place in 1929 Berlin when the Weimar Republic. It's a detective show. Okay. And it's Berlin was killing it back then really crazy the stars of the show are fantastic the acting it's in german watch it in subtitles and it is a wonderful wonderful show so watch babylon berlin detective story okay. in 1929 berlin and the other show that i just absolutely love on netflix which i think i told you about elizabeth is called w1a did i ever tell you about I this show think you might have. w1 i might have just tuned you out on oh it's a british <laughs> show and it takes place at the bbc it's a fiction no, show. No, you, you haven't told me. Okay, but that. it's a fictionalized show, and it's like The Office and Parks and Rec, and and but it's fast oh, and I it's British and it's funny and it's fast and moving. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix, and it's like I think four seasons or three or four seasons that are on Netflix. Okay. It was huge in England. Highly recommend that you watch W One A. Very very funny and very smart. Oh, it's it's like Veep as well. Oh, you know, you have Veep. You have yeah. every line you have what to pay attention to. Back? She's been she's been you know, has breast cancer. Know, she was coming. Yeah, she's she's doing well. I think. But yeah, it's, yeah, I don't she know is because I follow her on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll be back next week. Our next episode, um, we're going to be talking about small businesses that you can start from your home when you have no skills. So this is basically the opposite of what we just talked about. We talked about literally. Small businesses that kind of have a high barrier to entry, either education or you need money or you need like a certain set of skills. Um, I sound like Liam Neeson. Yeah. <laughs> Our next episode is going to be about businesses you can start when you literally have no money, no skills, and you don't want to leave your house. So tune in for that. Like it. Thanks for joining Elizabeth and Jean for another edition of the Small Biz Ahead podcast. For the latest on small business trends straight from the small business experts, visit the Hartford Small Biz Ahead. 
We've got articles, how-tos, and videos to help you run your business more efficiently. Check us out at smallbizahead.com.